All right. Well, we last night, if I or last uh, time, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we were we, we spent almost all the time talking about the curse and the the, um, the the various aspects of the of the curse, specifically the 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 effect. Well, first of all, we talked about what a curse was and what it wasn't. I think, and then we got into the the, um, the fact that you know God was more or less proclaiming uh, the consequences of their decisions, and and He proclaimed those consequences uh, towards the serpent, towards the the woman, and towards the man. And uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, again, I think we spent almost all all the time talking about. Uh, those things and at the end of let me grab my bible here at the end of genesis chapter 3 there's a there's a few things I, I'm, I'm noticing that i'm like going through i'm spending a lot more uh time in, in some of these details than i thought maybe i would but um that's okay you know in genesis is such an important book it's got it's it's got some of the as we, as we mentioned before in, in some of the other classes you see things here for the first time that and, and it's it, for me it just certain words we we've spent time on certain words like last time the word curse or um and let's see here some of the other words like day or whatever I don't remember all the words we focused in on but we focused in on a lot of words already so far in this class. And, and I'm not trying to necessarily do. Someone mentioned, in, in, uh, I think, in the Q and A time, one of these nights, how some people make a big deal about the um, the first appearance of a word in the Bible. It's not exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to. I mean, I'm not trying to um, necessarily say that the the first appearance of a word is necessarily uh, always the fullness of the definition that God gives us. It's 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 often not because the Lord fills in more details. Like when we looked at the word rest, we saw some aspects of rest on the seventh day, but then God's going to give us a whole lot more details about a rest in um, in the Sabbath, and then even more in the, going into the land and coming into their rest. And and that that rest, uh, it kind of that that word rest gets filled up as we go through the Old Testament with with. Um, with God's understanding, with God's pictures, He fills up. You know, I think of words like empty boxes. You could fill them with anything you want. You can fill them with man's understanding. You can fill them with Christ's understanding, or they can be filled with Christ's understanding if you let the Spirit do that. But uh, but they're just kind of like empty containers, and uh, and and that's that's great and that's dangerous. It's dangerous because a human being could put any any meaning they want to that word and hold on to it that way for the rest of their life. And when the truth begins to, to when the Lord approaches that box and wants to find room for his own understanding, oftentimes he finds it already full. He finds that box full of our own carnal man-centered understanding. Um, but if we let the Lord continually be well in His light, the, the the shining of His light in our hearts, define and bring understanding to, um, to these to bring His understanding, become the understanding of these words. Well, then then we're going to be in a good place, and and so I guess I'm saying all that because Genesis is is the, is 
obviously the first book of the Bible, it's the first time we come across a lot of these words. And before we get too far, I kind of want to, if nothing else, I, I, I sometimes just want to crush some of our man-centered ideas um, or, or just absolutely ridiculous uh in, whether they're intellectual or imaginary or whatever idea or both about some of these words, so that there's room. I kind of want to just basically crush the box, whatever we've put in it, crush, crush along with the box, and let the Lord find some room in our hearts um, to, to to redefine things in His own appearing. When He appears, He appears as the definition of all spiritual things, and that's how that's how it always is. So anyway, we did that kind of last week with the curse. I'm going to do that today with a few things. Um, one of the things, let's see here. Well, one of the things I have here in my notes is this this concept of the way. But I'll get to that in a minute. Um, anyway, I guess I was saying that you know I'm spending a lot of time in in, in Genesis and and uh, and and. That's that's okay. Some of the other books of the Bible, when we get to them, we'll probably go quite a bit faster through. But there's just so much here that we need to stop and look at. Um, at the end of, of chapter three, there's uh, this thing after the curse. It says, "I'm going to read these last few verses here." Uh, first of all, it says um, in verse 21. Also. For Adam and his wife, the Lord made the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then, and, and that's in 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 uh, it, he's making a d- deliberate comparison or a, a contrast there to the fig leaves that they had tried to clothe themselves with. Uh, God God makes obviously takes a, a life of an animal or whatever and clothes them with the the skin of 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 a, of a living being. And uh, and then I'm going to go on here. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And I just couldn't skip over this part because it's just, uh, <clears throat> there's just a number of things. First, just, just kind of small things that I'll point out, but things I just you know want our hearts to consider. First of all is just this, another picture of I think what God does through the cross here. He removes man's faulty covering or our sad religious attempts to cover our flesh and he clothes us in the life of another. I mean, that's he he he, he gives a different clo- uh, a covering, and, and that word covering too. I'm, I'm not going to get into it too much tonight. I don't think I've got into it yet, but it's one of those things that's going to come up. Where you're going to you're going to hear a lot about covering in um, when we get into Exodus Leviticus, because that's what the word atonement means. It means covering. And uh, and everything that God does to make uh, atonement, gives Israel to make atonement for themselves, is really giving them the fullness of this picture right here. Well, in type and shadow uh, language, but a greater picture of the covering that He gives them now, the life of another. He clothes them in the life of another. Okay, so that's that's there in twenty in twenty one in twenty two. 
Uh, just to mention it, you know, I don't. People have asked me before, what's the us here? The man has become like one of us, and um, this is one of three places that come to mind uh, where God refers to Himself as an us. I, I think I just I don't know any other you know profound explanation other than just just thinking of it as a reference to God's plurality. In other words, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what we call the Trinity. Uh, there's three places that come to mind where God uses this kind of language. One is here. The other one is in Genesis chapter 11, um, where God says, let us go down when they're building the Tower of uh, of Babel. Let us go down and uh, confuse their language. And then there's another one in Isaiah chapter 6. There might be another one too. These are the ones that come to mind, but... Isaiah chapter 6, where God says, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I will. And, um, you know, there's a whole lot of things in the Old Testament that that demonstrate the, the, the threeness of, three and oneness of God. Uh, I think this is just one of them. But there might be something more here that I'm, well, I'm sure there is that I haven't seen, but that's just kind of what comes to mind. Anyway, he says he's become like one of us knowing good and evil. I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago we talked about how, in a sense, Adam was, by taking the fruit, by believing the lie and eating the fruit and the consequences that came from that, he was, in a sense, I mean, there was, there was, there was a shred of truth in the lie of Satan when he said, you can be like God. And and here's the here's the here's the I think the shred of truth. It's that they understood something that they really never needed to understand. In fact, it would have been better that they never understood it. They they did not understand contrariness with God. They did not understand what it meant to be. at odds with or not in alignment with the perspective and purpose of God. They didn't know evil. They only knew good. And, and good in, in a shadowy way, good in a naturally created way, but still, everything in natural creation was good. God said it was good. This is good. That's good. This is good. Everything's good. Very good. Because it was a picture, a reflection of him who is goodness itself. And, and so, uh, Adam knew good. But he didn't know evil, and only the only way that he be, he became aware of the distinction between good and evil, evil, if you remember, is by becoming the very first break in or the very first thing that became contrary to the goodness. He became in himself the evil represented by that tree, and and so he understood good and evil by kind of like stepping over the line. From from the good to the evil, he by by putting himself at odds, contrary, uh, enmity with God. Then he he understood there's this other thing that isn't good there, and 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 I've become it. It's 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 now working in me. And although it doesn't really talk about sin, um, it just really talks about a transgression. There, transgression is a is a specific uh, disobeying disobeying a specific command. Sin is a is a nature. And 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 it's almost like a living, active principle or nature that we're gonna we're gonna meet in the next chapter, for the first time when 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 sin is described as as that which is crouching at the door, trying to master Cain. I don't know if you remember that. that that's the language that God uses to describe sin. Uh, but we'll get to that later. But uh, and we'll when we get there, we're gonna talk about sin. And uh, the nature, the the life of of sin. I think we talked about that a little bit when we talked about Satan. 
or the serpent. But anyway, so he, in a sense, he did become aware of good and evil. And I, and, and as far as I've seen, that's. Uh, I think at least part of what God is talking about here, where he says he's become like one of us. He has, in a sense, he became like God, that he understood and saw this contrast between good and evil. In another sense, he was nothing like God now, because he was the evil. And um, and so God immediately, and this is, this is the first of many, well, maybe not even the first. I, I'd have to go back and look, but it's one of the first, at, at least, of, of many pictures that we come across throughout the Old Testament of God excluding the natural man from a spiritual life, a spiritual reality. Remember, the Garden of Eden represents this this paradise of of... Uh, have a relationship with God. I mean, it's not the actual paradise itself. It was natural. It was physical. It was external, the relationship with God. It was good because it didn't have any sin. There was nothing contrary to God going on before the fall. But it wasn't the fullness of what God was going to give us in Christ. It was a picture of it. But it's a good picture of it. You know, it's a, it's, it's a picture of rest. It's a picture of provision. It's a picture of relationship with a God. It's a picture of, uh, the absence of sin. It's, it's a picture of the government of one man over a creation. It's a picture of lots of things. And, and now all of a sudden man is kicked out of it. Man, the Adamic man is forbidden. He is, God, you know, you got to kind of picture a, a gate. It doesn't really say that, but it's kind of implied here. There's some kind of a boundary around the garden, and the only, the way into the garden is now guarded by this cherubim, um, which is another word that we'll get to one of these days. Probably, more, we'll probably wait, wait for that one until we get to the tabernacle and the ark and all the cherubim that are in the veil and on top of the ark and all of that. But, um, I'll probably just leave that alone for now because it'll make more sense when we get to, to, to those verses. But the, the what, what's really important here is that he says, look, this man, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, look, this this one has, the, the Adamic man has no access to this relationship. The Adamic man has been kicked out, you know, separated from God. Th- this is judgment. This is what judgment is all about. Judgment is a word that means division, uh, I'm not sure if we talked about that in this class or not. We talked about it a bunch of times before and various other things. Judgment is division, and, and when God judges something, he divides it from himself. He doesn't need to destroy it or make it not exist. In fact, in all of the pictures uh, of the first and the second throughout the Old Testament, you know, the even in Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Leah and Rachel, David and Saul. When God rejects or judges something that it represents the first, the first man, the first creation, the first uh, covenant, he never destroys it. He never annihilates it. He just separates it from himself. He just says, it no longer has access to me. That's how God judges something. That's what, you know, Ishmael wasn't killed. God didn't, God didn't say to Abraham, take, take your son, Isaac, your only son, and go to the mountain. And by the way, before you do that, kill Ishmael, because I didn't like him. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that with Cain either, as he doesn't kill Cain. He, he doesn't, uh, kill Esau. In fact, naturally, these people are often blessed. That is to say, their, their natural lives represent the natural provision and blessing of God. He didn't destroy Adam either at the cross. He just, and this is where, where all of this points to. 
God didn't, by judging the Adamic man, some people, some people ask, and it's a legitimate question, if God crucified me with Christ, if God crucified the Adamic man with Christ, then why, why, why are there people that are still being born in the Adamic creation according to the Adamic nature? Well, the answer is because the judgment of the cross did the same. It did, what did the judgment of Ishmael do? It separated him forever from God's sight. It said, go, get, go back to Egypt, man. And uh, same thing with Cain. We'll read about it. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but it all kind of blent for me. This whole, the, the whole, thing, it's just one big story. It's a, it's one big story that just the details they just play out again and again and again. And 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 every time you read it, you get more more details. But it's all the same. It's the same thing. It's the same eternal purpose. And God's just like filling it up with with understanding as we go through the Old Testament. But again, it all finds its climax, like everything does, in the cross. And in the cross, God judges Adam. And and everyone thinks well, they read the word judgment and they say it's a, it's a, it's got to be a fireball. It's an atomic bomb. It's a what is no? It's just this big cross that puts away from him, separates from him all that fell short, and brings to him all that rises up in Christ from among the dead. And that's that's where we live. We have been raised with him, seated with him, made alive with him, you know. And where am I going with all this? Nowhere near Genesis three, but um, so well, I guess I guess it does. I mean, this does actually is what Genesis three is talking about here. Where here's our first picture: God judges Adam. What does he do? You know, does he does he strike him with a the lightning bolt? Does he have a T Rex run into the garden and, and and eat him? No, he just makes this division, and it, and and he and he separates. It's very specifically, because it says the, the, the cherubim with the flaming sword guards the way to the tree of life. That's the issue. That's what he was protecting. Okay, He, he wasn't protecting them from like the big fruit trees. It, it was, it was the tree, specifically the tree of life. I mean, it wasn't... It, in other words, now that he was this Adamic fallen thing, what he had become did not mix. It could not mix together with that tree, with that life. It was now, well, in order for that man to approach that tree again, he had to walk through a flaming sword. Okay? In other words, he, to, to live, he had to die. To live again, or at least these pictures, to find life, to have access to life, he now had to be cut down. Now, with the flaming sword, you have two pictures of the cross that also run throughout the Old Testament. You have a sword, which is the, you know, a, an, or a knife that you see cutting off foreskins all throughout the Old Testament, you know, the, removing the flesh. You see it, the sword of David going through the land, removing all uncircumcised flesh and all uh, idolatry and all that. The sword is uh, is a very common, you know, thing that... that uh, points to this this judgment of, of flesh the fire is also uh, you know a, a, a picture of there's the, the con- God is a consuming fire the cross is this thing that burns away all flesh and leaves Adam in ashes but and yet that which is of Christ can pass through the fire and you see that man you see that in the tabernacle you see that in uh, in the uh, uh, 
the story of what are those guys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know, the only thing that the fire consumed. There's one like the Son of Man in there with the fire, and the fire can't touch them. They stand in Christ. The only thing it, cons- it consumes is the bonds that are holding them. You know, and um, anyway, fire is another one. You know, Jesus even ca- came and said, "I have come to throw fire on the earth." You know, and uh, and and. And, and that's a really interesting statement. That's an interesting statement about the cross. I, I don't know if you ever noticed. I think it's in Luke. I can't remember for sure. But I have come to, to throw fire on the earth, and oh, how I wish it was already kindled. You can look that up because I'm not sure of the address on that one. But uh, or, or John the Baptist. You know, I baptize you in water, but the one who comes after me is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Those are two sides of the same cross. Um. So, here it is, the first picture of this access denied. This is what God says to the Adamic man here. You cannot, you cannot come in here without dying. The cross is the way to the tree of life. Now the Adamic man, he, the way, there is still a way, but the way, and this word way, okay, and I'm trying to emphasize this here. This word way there's only one way back to this life. There's only one way into this relationship. There's only one way, okay? And here's and and the sword, the flaming sword is guarding the way to the tree of life. This as I said a minute ago, this is the first time I think in my memory right now at least we see the the phrase the way and 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 yet we we know you know that Jesus this is one of those words that Jesus uh, appeared on the scene and he he I amed it you know to, to to make up a verb he in other words he said I am the way he he didn't and, and what is the way every single time that Jesus said I am about something whether it was the bread or the vine or the shep good shepherd or the whatever. Um, he wasn't just grabbing a random word. He was always grabbing a word that God had filled up with meaning through the types and shadows in the Old Testament. And he was pointing to himself and just declaring, I am, I am that. I'm, I'm all of it. And that, that's, that's God's great name. That's, you know, that's how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. He said, look, they said, who are you? He said, I, I, I am that I am. What does that even mean? You'll see, is, is what he could have said. I am the judgment on Egypt. I am the parting of the Red Sea. I'm everything you're going to see, Moses. I'm the water out of the rock. I'm the bread out of the sky. I'm the tabernacle. I'm the high priest. I'm the altar. I'm the bronze altar. I'm the golden altar. I'm the ark. I'm, I'm everything. I'm the serpent on top of the staff that they have to look at and live. I'm the way through the wilderness. I'm, I'm all of it. I'm every bit of it, and so what? A, what a, you know? What a perfect name to to say. What, what's your name? I am. I am that I am. You know. I mean, what are you? Everything, and I'm the fullness of everything I've made. I'm the I'm the fulfillment of every shadow you're about to see. I, I'm the substance and reality of every single created thing. I am. If you want to know who I am, then you have to know me as I am. And so Jesus who is the I am in, in, in the form of God the Son, he, he comes and, and what does he begin to do? And, and, and a lot of times they, they started, they understood he, he was using this name. I mean, this was God's name and he was using it to apply to himself. Um, 
he he starts walking through and and and, and IMing things. And and sometimes it's actually better in in the Greek because there's a few places where Jesus says unless you believe and this is how it reads in the English it says unless you believe that I am he um you will die in your sins but in, but in the Greek what he's really saying is unless you believe that I am then you will die in your sins you know and then they pick up stones to stone him because they understand what he's saying um another time where he's walking uh on the water and uh, they're all all the disciples are freaking out and they say and, and this is how it translates in English it says uh he, he, they, they say it's a ghost, and and then Jesus says, "Do not be afraid; it is I." But again, in Greek, it reads like this: "Do not be afraid; I am." Um, or that other one. Actually, this one's translated correctly, uh, or, or, or you know, more more appropriately, I think, where it says, where he says, "Before Abraham was, I am." And they pick up stones to stone him. I mean, they understand the name here. And, and, and so I say all that just because Jesus says very specifically, I am the way. What's the way? Well, and where do you see this way? Well, you see it in, in the desert. He was the way. Well, even before that, you see it. He's the way out of Egypt. H- how was he the way out of Egypt? Well, what was the way out of Egypt? It was a it was a kill it was a dead lamb it was a crucified lamb it was a bloody door he Jesus is that way he's the way out he's the way through the wilderness in other words he's the way that you learn where you are the wilderness is that journey of uh, well it can be a journey of wandering in the vanity of the unrenewed mind or it can be a journey of of uh, of learning the covenant that God is the, the life that God has given you the covenant where God has placed you it depends on the heart but he's the way through. He, he's all the things that God showed them in the way, and uh, and then and then you see he's the way into the promised land. How is he the way into the promised? Remember, remember the story. They couldn't just. I mean, even though the river was small and, and shallow, God didn't let them just jump across, you know, or roll up their pant legs and run across into the promised land. There was a very specific way that they had to enter into the promised land. Set the ark out in front of you, 200 cubits or whatever it was, and put it on top the shoulders of the priests and watch the water roll back. And it's interesting too, because someone was mentioning this last night in my group that um, I do with the the folks in Venezuela and Colombia, that it says the waters stood in one place at a place called Adam. And I'm not sure how it translates it in English, but it's like the, the the water stood still, like the waters of Adam stopped flowing or something. I don't know. It's kind of cool. But anyway, then they go in, and they they go in on dry land, and they go in following the ark, and they go in, and God says, "You have to follow the ark because why? Because you have not gone this way before. This is a totally new way. This is a way you don't know." And, uh, and, and of course, that's Christ too. Christ is that way. He's the way out. He's the way through. He's the way in. Um, you know, there's, I just wrote down a few other ones here. There's, when they get into the land, God says he will send his angel before them to guide them in the way. When Israel rebelled in the wilderness and other times, God would tell them that they are turning away from the way. Israel is turning their hearts from the way that God has showed showed uh showed them um there's 
lots of Proverbs and lots of Psalms that talk about God guiding them in the way of righteousness or teach me the way, your way, and your way of righteousness or whatever. Anyway, all that's just to say, once again, Jesus comes and he declares himself to be the way and what's he doing? He's gathering up these fragments, these little pictures of himself that God has given to us given to Israel over the course of a few thousand years. He's gathering up those fragments and he's declaring himself to be their substance. He is the way in which we must walk. He is the path of truth. He is the only way to the Father, he says. Um, anyway, I just I just love that here and 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 the way very specifically I mean you could say it's the cross but Christ is the cross I mean the cross and Christ aren't two separate things the cross is Christ's death Christ's burial and Christ's resurrection it's not a place it's not a thing it's not wood it's not it's a very specific death of a very specific son of God and it's a very specific burial of all that God put to death in that man and it's a very specific resurrection of a very specific kind of life that lives in you. And so to know Christ is to know the cross, and to know the cross is to know Christ. And and so the way is the cross, but that's just another way of saying that the way is Christ. All right. How are we doing on time here? Okay, so um, in, in Genesis chapter 4, okay, I, I want to get into this Cain and Abel story because it's the first real clear picture uh, that, that the Lord gives us of the first and the second. And um, let me just say one thing before I get there. It, it, it says, it just starts off and says, Now Adam knew his wife, uh, knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And I, and again, I, 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 know, I, I know I shouldn't, I don't need to apologize to you guys for taking time on details and stuff, because that's probably why you guys are logged on right now, but this word too is so important, this word know. You know, here's how God uses the word know. Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. Why is that important? Because it gives us a picture, an understanding of what knowing means to God. It's and and that that doesn't really matter that much in Genesis chapter four when it's Adam and, and Eve, but it means so much when Jesus comes and says things like, "Nobody knows the Father except the Son." You see, or or truly, truly, I say to you, I never knew you. Or you don't know the Father, like I, you know, and and he's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to those who have the law, who have all the commandments, and some of them were were people that, uh, I mean, they were not everyone he was talking to was a was a religious hypocrite too. I mean, there were some that were generally seeking, you know, that would have said to him, "You have the words of eternal life." But he still says to them, "Nobody knows the Father." Why? Well. The answer to that question is in the understanding of the word know. What is, what does it mean to know God? Well, what, what did it mean for, for Adam to know Eve? It was an experience of union. It was a living, it was a living participation in life. It was a, 
it was the sharing of a seed. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, I don't want to get too graphic here, but but the knowing is here's our first picture of, of knowing. Jesus says, "No one knows the Father. Why? Because because knowing isn't something that human beings ever sent. Well, m- m- man had never known God. Never. I know that maybe sounds like an extreme statement, but it's true. Man had never." truly known God. Man had known shadows. Man had known appearances. Man had known uh, voices speaking out of bushes and mountains that shook and clouds that appeared above tabernacles. But no one knew the Lord because knowing is an experience, is a sharing of life, is an experience of union. The only way to know God is when the life of God is living in your soul. When the seed of God has impregnated your soul and is growing and forming himself in you. That's knowing. And and the only person, well, the only being, or whatever, that had ever known God was the one who came out from the bosom of God who had who had the life of God in him who had who had uh, for for eternity past had partaken of and experienced this this same life in a living union he's the only one that knew God because he was the only one that came from God and had this sharing of life and and so how does Jesus Jesus says no one knows the father except the one to whom the Son reveals Him. In a number of places, He talks about how the Son is the only way to know the Father. Why is that? Is it because He just walks up and, and, and opens the door to heaven and says, Hey, I want you to meet my dad. You know, No, it's because by living in you, by bringing us into Him and Him in us, by Christ in you and you in Christ, you enter into the actual relationship itself. You actually know the Father by participating in the same life, by experiencing the increase of His seed, His light, His mind working in you. It's not external. It's absolutely and entirely internal. And it's a participation in life. And so right here in the beginning, and this same understanding of knowing goes, out, goes on throughout the, uh, the Old Testament, if, we, if you pay attention to it. It's even right there in the New Testament where... Um, where Mary says, how can I have a child? Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, how can I have a, a son if I've never known a man? You know. And uh, Anyway, I just wanted to, to throw that out there because to me it's one of those defining things you know, for the Lord. What does it mean for you and I to know God? It is very, very easy to know all of God's words and not know God. It is easy to fall in the trap of doing things in his name or for his name and yet not knowing him. Because knowing is a participation in his resurrected life. And that's why I think Jesus has these kind of um, startling parables or, or stories about how so-and-so did this in my name or did that in your name and Jesus said truly depart from me depart from me because I never knew you you know I never knew you I never shared my life with you I never formed my life in your soul I never put my seed in you never let me you never let me put my life in you and bring you in me to my father depart from me I don't even know you 
We are two separate kinds. We are two distinct seeds. We are divided by the cross. We have nothing in common. You know, I mean, that's kind of, I'm, I'm being a little intense with that, but that's, that's, that's more or less, I think, what uh, you don't, I don't know you means. We are on two, we are on two separate sides of a great divide, and that divide is the cross. You are of Adam, and I am of Christ, you know. Anyway, uh, and, and you could tie all that into how Paul says, now we do not know one another according to the flesh, but we know one another according to the Spirit and all of that. But I'll let you do that in your own time. Let me just at least introduce, and we'll have to pick this up next time um, in, in greater detail, but the story of Cain and Abel. This is... Um, this is uh, the first picture of what I think, well, the Bible calls it, at least in Hebrew, is the first and the second. That's the language that I use. And, and I know we've talked about this in one of the introductory classes. Um, but here, here we start to see our first living picture of the first and the second. And you begin to see, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is the story of the first and the second. And we've, we've talked about that. The first is the promise. The first is the prophecy, the shadow, the copy. And the second is the substance, the fulfillment. And all of the Bible is either doing one of two things. It is either proclaiming that which is to come in Christ or declaring what has come in Christ. That's it. I mean, it's really that simple. You could divide it into into two. Well, it is, it is divided into two 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 sections or two parts, Old and New New Testaments, and and the one is the declaration of what was to come in Christ in all kinds of diverse ways and 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 different ways of communicating that that reality. And the second is the proclamation of what has come in in Christ. And and the first is natural, and the second is spiritual. The first points to Christ, the second is Christ, and and, and the first is you know sometimes I just I, I say it like this: that's the first man, the first covenant, the first um, first first man, first creation, first covenant, and uh, and it always falls short of God's desire. It never actually get even in the best of circumstances even if sin like i've said before even if sin didn't even enter into the picture in the best of circumstances the first falls short because it's not the second i mean that's the primary reason that the first is always rejected in all of these in all of these stories i mean you can point to the ways that they fall short you can point to the fact that ishmael was a production of or a creation of abraham's flesh that's true there's lots of different things that are brought out in these stories you know, Abel killed, or Cain killed Abel, and all that. There's pictures of 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 the of the ways that the first falls short. But if you really want to know the main reason why the first in all of these stories, be it again Cain and Abel, Rachel and Leah, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and uh, Esau, David and uh, Saul, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, the story is always the same. Okay, and I'm going to tell you some of the details of the, of the story in a minute that we see here in the story of Cain and Abel. The, the principal reason that the first is rejected and the second is accepted, the, the reason that the first is rejected is because it's not the second. Because God's heart has always been set on the fulfillment and not the shadow. The, the the living person, the one whom God says, 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's always had his eye on that one. The other one was never... He, the first was the pattern, the type, but it wasn't the thing that, that pleased his heart from the beginning. And to demonstrate that, we have all of these stories. In fact, that's very specifically what's shown to us in the story when we get there eventually to the story of uh, 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 Leah and uh, and Rachel. Leah was the firstborn, and, and it was the custom of that, you know, of Laban, his uh, her father, to give the firstborn before the second. And Jacob, he wanted the second. He he, he fell in love with before, you know, before, he he met Rachel first. He met her at the well there, and and um, and he didn't he didn't want anyone else. He didn't want you know he 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 accepted Leah, but his heart was always. Uh, set on Rachel, he all. And what was wrong with Leah? Well, it says that she had, you know, dim eyes, whatever that means. But, it, you know, it's not like it's it, it's not like the main issue there was that. I mean, what was the main issue? The main issue that he is that he loved Rachel. That's the issue. That God's heart is set on the second. God's heart is set on the, the, the on Christ and the increase of Christ, and we are grafted into that relationship and that reality, and all of it is made available to us in Christ, and that's wonderful. But still, it's Christ all and in all. And the first was the pattern. The first was the prophecy. The first was the picture. And so Cain is he's the first. And, and and again, you you can you can talk about the, you know you could say Cain brought an offering to the Lord of of the earth. Well, that's true. He did, and God had cursed the earth. Earth, and I think there may be a picture there, an important one for us, that Cain brought the best of the earth. Cain brought the best of what he thought that God would like, or whatever. And and Abel, by faith, Hebrews eleven tells us, by faith, that is to say, seeing what was to come, seeing with God's perspective, looking beyond, seeing him who was unseen, by faith, Abel brought something that represented the the Lamb of God. He he brought a lamb. You know, he brought he brought he brought something in which you know which was going to represent his death, burial and resurrection. He brought something that was a picture of Christ. He brought um but that's all true, but but again it's not like I guess the thing I'm trying to highlight is that even if Cain would have brought something better or something, maybe his own lamb or something, he's still the first is the shadow, the first man, the first covenant, the first creation. It just falls. It falls short of the second. It always does. It always will. And you know the natural mind says unfair, and yet God gives all of those who are born as part of the first an opportunity to be found in the one who is the second. Now, no one can say that's unfair. And that's the whole That's the whole subject, in my opinion, of Romans chapter 9. Listen to how God says this, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, before they were even born. And everyone's, everyone reads that and says, that's not fair. They didn't do, and it says before they did anything. God already said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And the natural mind says, that's that's so mean, you know. You can't just pick your favorites, God. And God, first of all, Jacob is Esau represents the natural man, and Jacob represents the the spiritual man. It's the Adamic man. It's the Adamic man and 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 the uh, 
and the man that is the corporate body of Christ. And you know that from, we'll see that when we get to, I think it's like Genesis 27 or something like that. God says it. God says that to Rachel. He says, in your, in your womb, or, uh, is it Rachel? No, it's Rebecca. In your womb, yeah, that's right. In your womb are two nations, two peoples will come, and, and, and they're fighting. They're, before they even come out of the womb, they're already at odds with each other, you know? And, uh, and they come out, and, 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 from, and, and from that point on, God speaks of Jacob and, and Esau, uh, or he, sometimes he calls Esau Edom, because that's, I think that's the word that means red, and, and, and that's another, he came out all red and covered with hair and all that. But anyway, Jacob, and, and, and throughout the prophets and, and, and throughout the rest of the Old Testament, Jacob and, and Esau, one is this spiritual body, and the other is the natural body. So God's saying, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated it. He's not talking about two people. The two people represent two corporate men, Adam and Christ. And hate and love there, God's, and this is, I'm getting way off subject, but let me just say, when God talks about loving something, he talks, he's talking about giving himself to it. He's talking about a relationship there. It's not talking about a feeling. It's not like an emotion with God. When God loves, he gives himself. God so loved the world. God in this way loved the world that he gave. God's love has been demonstrated for us that he gave us his son in whom we could live. You know, throughout the New Testament, you'll find that, that God loves by giving himself. God's hatred, or the hatred of God, again, isn't just a feeling he feels, it's the absence of relationship. God had no relationship with Esau. And that totally had to do with Esau's choice, too. He, he, he sold his birthright for a cup of stew, and he, and he lost the blessing. But, Everyone who is born of Esau, if they want to lose that life, can participate in the covenant that God has made with Jacob. And I'm, and I'm speaking parabolic, uh, symbolically here because that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 9. He says, look, you can't call God unfair for deciding the vessel in whom he would show mercy and the vessel that he has prepared for destruction. You can't do that. It's, it's up to God. God in other words... God is showing mercy to, to, to all and everyone who lives in Christ, who comes to Christ. And God is showing uh, wrath and, and separation of all those who decide to stay in Adam. And that's God's prerogative. That God has every right to, to choose the man in whom he will show his mercy and the man in whom he will show his rejection. But the good news is for us that the cross is the way to pass from one man to the other. For us to leave behind Esau and come and find the mercy of God in Jacob. And why am I talking about that? Oh, just because of this first and the second here, and we're running out of time, but that's what we start to see here in Cain and Abel. You, you, you see the first, you see this pattern, okay? And the first falls short. Okay, that's that's the first thing you see, and then the second is pleasing to God by faith. Okay, that's how David was pleasing to God by faith, and Saul wasn't, or whatever. That Abraham, Abraham's first son was according to his own ideas. His second son was according to you know Ishmael or Isaac was according to faith. Faith has always kind of plays a role in this story, but the first falls short, the second is accepted. Okay. Then, in most of these stories, you have this aspect where the first becomes jealous, the first doesn't accept their rejection, and, and, and persecutes the second. So there's this, you know, Esau tries to kill Jacob, and Ishmael makes fun of 
Isaac, and Saul tries to kill David all the days of his life, and Cain rises up and does kill Abel, you know. The, the first doesn't take his rejection well. Just like we don't take the, the rejection of the, of the Adamic man well. We definitely don't. We don't want a gospel that has to do with a cross. We don't want, we don't want a cross put in front of our face, a, a, a fiery sword that says, you have to, you have to die to, to partake it in my blessing. You know, the flesh hates that. And, and yet it's the truth. And so the first always has a bad reaction to God's rejection. And always, in some way or another, persecutes the second. That's what we do in our own heart. You know, God has placed his eternal accepted seed in our soul. And we try to chase it away with our own flesh. I mean, we try to live in the flesh, even though we've been born in the Spirit. We try to say, oh God, can't Ishmael live before you? I'll clean him up for you. I'll, I'll fix him. I'll, I'll put perfume on him so he doesn't smell like Adam so much. You know, that's what we say. We, we're like Laban that says, can't you just marry the first? Can't you just marry Leah? She's my firstborn. You know? Or we're like, like Esau that cries out and shakes with a very, as it say, with a very extreme shaking or a very pitiful cry or something like that when he says to his father Isaac, don't you have another blessing? You already blessed, you, you blessed my, my brother, but don't you have another blessing left for me? And, and it, Isaac says, no, I, I only have one. And he has it. And he will be blessed. And then Esau has like a seizure or something. I mean, he freaks out because, why? There's no more blessing for him. Well, all of that is the same. It's the same thing. Cain, you know, Abel's offering is accepted. Cain's rejected. And Cain doesn't take it too well. He persecutes the second. And then there's this... There's this judgment of the Lord that is the result where the first is put away and the second is established. And that's the, that's the story in all of, the, all of these. Um, in one way or another, God puts away the first and establishes the second. He doesn't kill it. Remember, uh, he doesn't, doesn't kill Cain, doesn't kill Ishmael, doesn't kill Esau, doesn't kill Leah. He, he just, it's, it's a question of what he has relationship with. Okay, And we'll pick it up. I'll stop there for now and we'll pick it up there next time.